Hey there, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 33 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and insight and life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I will be your host. Looking forward today to our conversation with Dr. Norm Piert. Uh, we, we discussed about how to say his name a little bit before because uh, it's a... My, I know with being Santa Meyer and it being butchered in my life, I li- like to do my best to try to pe- pronounce people's names correctly. Um, and so anyway, we, we spent some time, and I think I said it correct again, and um, just valued learning from him, um, from Pastor Norm and his wisdom, his insight, his experience, and uh, his ability to take complex uh, subjects and, and put them down to actionable points. Um, that is a, uh, that's a gift, and um, he's a phenomenal communicator. He's an educator and uh, just learned so much from him. I took notes. I think some of the things that stuck out to me is he'll pay attention or, or keep your ears uh, open for the idea of the opposite of committed conversation is casual conversation. And then the other thing he talked about, the ideas we look at our, our teams as we want, this podcast is, um, focuses on team building and the, the idea of not just looking for presence on a team, but representation so that there's a voice of diversity, not just a just a, a tokenism or a, having diversity for diversity's sake, but the reality of what we each bring to a table and while we can... Um, work together in God's kingdom in that if there's representation. And so just, just valued, took notes, learned a lot from, from Pastor Norm and his wisdom, his insight, his experience. And um, I know you're going to love it too. Just want to say that um, continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth um, as Dick and I sit down and he answers some questions. And um, as you know, we, when the, those sessions, we will answer one or two questions with, with Dick and then we'll jump into the interview. And that's normally how those will go. And that's once a week. And um, I have just found that to be valuable and insightful. And I've had a lot of positive feedback from that. And um, just want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Wes and Peggy Reed, collaborators in life and mission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend um, with me today, Pastor Norm Piert. We practice his name. I hope it's semi-close. We practiced his name um, before we got started, and um, I was trying my best, so I don't know if it was. Pastor Norm, will you go ahead and just introduce yourself to the audience and um, just share a little bit about yourself? All right. Thank you, Aaron, for this great opportunity to uh, not only get to know you better, but also to spend this time and hopefully minister to your uh, your hearers. I am an African-American pastor here in Cary, North Carolina. We've been here since 1995. I am uh, someone who comes out of the New York City area. I was, uh, I grew up there, came to know the Lord there, and then went on a journey through Pennsylvania, Michigan, and began the church that I pastor here in North Carolina. Uh, it's called Grace Bible Fellowship, a wonderful Christian uh, uh, family, a church family. I have a wonderful wife. Her name is Carolyn, four sons. But in the process of moving through all those various stops, uh, I had the opportunity uh, coming out of New York City. Really, my intent always was to go back to the city. It's mm. always to pour back into those who I had had relationship with there. I had seen many men who uh, and women who wanted to go into ministry and be used of the Lord, but they couldn't break away from um, uh, their world there to go out and study and prepare. 
And so my thought was always to go back to the city. Hmm. Uh, the urban experience was my experience. And so as I went through school, I was always thinking, what can I gain? What can I gather to take back? Yeah. And uh, so I, I got a few degrees, uh, ending with a, a PhD in sociology at Michigan State wow. University. Wow. And uh, it was always the, the intent. And the reason all the other degrees were Bible-based, but as I was being led, and I didn't want didn't to go after a PhD, but, but I was really having a lot of people come to me, you know how the Lord knocks on your door and yeah. comes from various avenues just to get your attention. And uh, he got my attention. I said, you know, Lord, I would love to wed it. Not that the scripture is not important, not that more Bible training is not important, but I'd love to cap it off with an application, a hmm. means of taking these gospel truths and putting it into a society, a world yeah. that's in need of it. And so I thought sociology would give that avenue towards uh, that intent. And so I went in and, and that's what I studied uh, as I was at Michigan State. And then just the wonderful experience of doing what you know, I felt the Lord called me to do since then, which was to uh, uh, come back and uh, uh, out of uh, academia and to uh, lead a church. And so yeah. I've been blessed to do that, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. I'm also uh, a chaplain uh, at the Cary Police Department, the area in okay. which I work, and that's uh, it's another experience of the Lord's working where I started challenging our body again at a certain point, just thinking, man, we, we are seeing the Lord work, but how are we impacting our community? Hmm. And uh, as I was checking on ways to get us engaged as a church in the community, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, I have a way for you to have an impact. And so I have been at the Cary Police Department for a, a decade, and uh, the opportunity came for me to step into the role of a chaplain. And growing up in New York City, long story, trying to make it short, uh, that was never my intent. That was <laughs> the, the police community relationships as I grew up in Brooklyn and later on in Queens. What was not such that that's what I longed to do. I yeah. never saw myself yeah. in law enforcement. It was always a gulf between the community and, and the police, as we've seen in some of the uh, stories that have um, uh, you know, been propagated and pushed out via the media now, that there are some challenges between the African-American community and, and law enforcement. But I heard the Lord's uh, guidance and went into that. And it's been a great experience. It's given me a perspective that I didn't have and given me an opportunity to love on those who are in law enforcement, to love on the men and the women who put their lives in harm's way. And I have been able to, uh, as much as the Lord has given me that opportunity, to create a bridge from the African-American uh, community in, ours, in our community here in Cary uh, to the law enforcement community and really look to see there be substantive dialogue and hmm. i can tell you stories how the lord has worked to bring that about it's called building bridges and we've seen um uh, clergy from the faith community in Cary meet uh for five years now with uh, those who are part of the Cary police department and talk about some of those substantive issues that are uh, before us that we hear in the news yeah. and how do yeah. we become a community of one not one over another uh, you know, uh, one that operates within another community, but how do we become a community of one and realize that we are in this together? We have to be able to, 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 to see this be effective and see it work in a way that benefits both sides. And so it's just been a blessing to be a part of it. Wow. Man, that's an amazing, amazing story. 
Pastor, you know, normally, Pastor Norm, normally we begin the podcast with lessons learned. You know, I, we've we found throughout the that um, sometimes, at least if we list all our victories in the beginning, people it's, they think, man, they're perfect. I'll never be perfect. But when somebody shares, this is a, this is my story. This is a challenge I went through. This is how God brought me through that situation. People can identify with that because they say, I got I got a lot of challenges, and I can identify with the challenge part and and faith in God. Is there just any, um, is there a story maybe that would come to mind or experience that you've had um, that, that you walked through and was challenging on, and, and help give you wisdom and guidance on how you approach this, the church's role and um, in racial reconciliation? Yes. Uh, one of those that, that comes to mind is uh, uh, an account that happened very early in our, in our existence as a church. Uh, we saw a young uh, interracial couple come to our church and as I got to know them and eventually had the opportunity to see them come to know the Lord and see them be baptized and join our church, uh, they told me the story that they came with much reluctance because mm -hmm. when they had gotten to the point where they wanted to get married, wanted a wedding, no church in, in the area around them. And we're here in the South and I would not have thought that to be the case in the 90s, but uh, they could not have a marriage within a church. Mm -hmm. And uh, they eventually went to the Justice of the Peace and, and had a marriage take place, their marriage take place there. And so as I, as I began to hear some similar stories as well, you would think, again, that's not the case. And maybe it was just the Lord uh, pulling that deep into my heart and my understanding. I, I realized from that experience that they had a vested interest in finding a church, in seeing a church, uh, exists that they could come to, both of them together, not having to give up an aspect of who they are in order to become part of a church family that both of them could feel their needs being met. And so that was part of my uh, encouragement, my challenge to see a strong multicultural church that would not waffle, would not uh, try to play the, the angles when it comes to being more black or more white. Uh, there are aspects of both of those uh, dynamics of uh, uh, culture that needed to be a part of our existence, but at the same time to realize that as they were vested, everyone else, you know, maybe it was a couple that was African-American or a couple that was, was white, uh, black or white, they could go wherever they wanted to go, find another church, move on. They wanted a church that would meet the needs for each of them in a very specific and dynamic way. And so that just um, rooted very deeply in me the need to commit more deeply it's not a case I'm doing this because at that point it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the thing uh, yeah. but to realize that it wasn't just a passing fancy. It had yeah. to be a conviction because there were couples like this who needed to have that, that place where they could find um, a, a comfort area, a home, a family. And I needed to be as sold and as all in as they were. And so that further deepened my, my thoughts. It was already there because of my conviction in scripture but I could see the practical side of that, the social side of that, as they were looking for a place to call home. And so that became uh, just a significant moment to realize we provided that which they needed for themselves and for their family as individuals, but also as a couple. That's amazing. Amazing story. Amazing insight. You know, the, the, obviously you talked about a passing fancy and something it was, it, it has become very, um, in the news and in the media now, um, this idea of, of, uh, in necessity of racial reconciliation, but it's not been something that's passing fancy of yours. Cause I, your book that you wrote separate, no more, you, you wrote that, uh, quite a few years ago. 
And so this has been a passion for, of your heart um, for a long time. Could you just share um, what events led up to you writing that book? And um, because this is, this is, as I talked to my father-in-law, Jim, you know, that it's ever since I met him and uh, we met the first time, uh, Heather, I came back to meet him at Southeastern, it would have been 1999. And that man, he talked, he sat me down and we had some we, he dove in real, real quick. So, I mean, he, he, he has a passion, he has a desire, and he really wants to see the church be th that for the community, that we can be a place to model the love of Jesus Christ. And, and um, as he, sh he shared with me, you, that's something that resonates with you. I'm talking a lot. People don't want to hear me talk, but separate no more. Could you just share a little bit about the backstory of that and what led you to write it? All right. Um, separate no more came out of a, a few different... Uh, uh, rivers that flowed together. Uh, one of those was that um, I had, uh, as we looked towards starting Grace, we really had to decide on, okay, Lord, why another church? What was your call for this church that would make us unique? Uh, at that time, I thought it was um, uh, something that we had to choose that, uh, you know, kind of put us uh, outside of what was already going on in the area. But as I started looking at scripture, as I started looking at my backstory, seeing how God had walked me to where I was, started realizing it was an aspect of Christianity that I didn't see. I saw it in my upbringing. I saw it in my experiences, but I didn't see it in Christianity. Uh, to give you an example of that, Aaron, when I was, uh, and, and your hearers, when I grew up, I grew up in New York City, went to a school that was very large. It was, uh, it was a dynamic school in that we had many different ethnic groups to be a part of that school. I graduated, my graduating class was 2000 plus. Uh, and so as I came out of that, I, I, I grew up, I went to school with those who were Asian, Latinos. I, I went to school with those who were white, those who were black, those who were from different nationalities and backgrounds. So I came out of that multicultural, uh, I, I, I describe it as watching colored te television, you know, where you see all of it, it, it's high definition. You see all of these different backgrounds. And then I went off to Bible college. I had longed because I, I longed to go to Bible college. I'd come to know the Lord in my first year at high school. And so I was longing to now begin to learn more about scripture, learn more about walking with God. And so I went to this Bible college in upstate Pennsylvania. And uh, it was like going from high def color television to black and white. And it was the starkest change because it wasn't just black and white. There was a whole lot of white, it was very little black. And so I went to a school where, you know, 800 students, uh, I was like one of five uh, African-American students, one of five black students there. And so the, the, the question was always nagging, especially as you're in class. I remember one incident, I was sitting in a, in, a, in a preaching class and the question was asked, name some great preachers of our, uh, of our you know, present time or of our modern century. And I forwarded the name Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And the prof stopped and said, he wasn't a preacher. He was a social activist, but he wasn't a preacher. And, and, I, and I was just blown away because here is a man who was one of the most gifted orators of our time. For sure. Who was someone, you know, that, that went into scripture and applied it to our present challenges in the 60s. One who was gifted, but his heart rang scripture. And... I, I wrestled with that. You know, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect at the school? Uh, I had a stand against interracial marriages that, that, you know, again, it just didn't ring clear with what I'm seeing in scripture. And I, it, it echoed even more as I started to, to look at historically 
challenges in Christianity, summed up in, in a statement like that of Billy Graham, who said, you know, uh, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. was the most segregated time in America. I know that's been attributed to Martin Luther King, but, but he, the first written note of that was in a Reader's Digest article, and he, he made that statement. And so I was still seeing that. I was still seeing um, the, the fact that there was not an understanding of the contribution of Africans in America. Uh, there had always been a historical dynamic where the white church was more focused on the cognitive, the knowledge base of what it means to have faith and have these great doctrinal statements. But the black church was almost like they didn't contribute anything. Maybe they, they had a few gospel songs, a few hits, but they weren't really dynamic on, uh, on what it meant and did not contribute to the Christian faith. And so I had to walk through that. I had to also wrestle with what does it mean to think about a multicultural ministry? What does it mean to have a church? Is this something that is unique? Is this something that just makes us stand out? Or is this a part of what the scripture calls the church to be? And so with that, I, I really did a lot of studying. And as I was teaching at a seminary where, again, I'm, I'm hearing uh, statements made that just didn't match up with, with what I sensed historically as well as biblically, looking at uh, Black contribution to Christianity, seeing that it had always been there. The Black church in America is one of the most dynamic aspects of um, uh, church being lived out in a practical sense of deep faith and uh, being, being very much so where there is, it's church on the fire and having a hold up <laughs> onto that and showing a level of Christianity that's, that's very significant. And there have been great con contributors. And then looking at that, even going back even further and saying, well, let's not just look at the historical. Let's not just look at the social. Let's look at it scripturally. And so one of the, uh, the, the aspects of that is having to dig into scripture and see, is this something that I'm coming up with? Is this something that's unique for the 90s? Is this something that I'm not really getting a, a good sense of? But is this what Christ calls his church to be? Uh, that's the inherent aspect. Is this an aspect? that is part of our uh, definition of church. If Jesus looked at his church, would this be what he would want his church to look like? And so from that, you know, I, I, I began to look at scripture and see that uh, as you look throughout scripture, the issue wasn't race as we would see race. And that is really a later development historically. It was, it was ethnic issues. It was divisions that come within humanity. So if you look at the very first book of Genesis, you roll into Genesis 3, and here is this account of a disruption, sin, between God and humanity. It, it divides uh, a marriage, divides men and women, gender issues now that pushes them apart. But it really begins, the first step is dividing humanity from God. Adam, where are you? And they're hiding. They're, they're hiding from the creator. Then you see that break the marriage bond, and there's a division there. And then after that, you, you go into, uh, you know, the, the next chapter over, it divides their, 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 their family. But also in the midst of that, you see humanity dividing as one brother would rise up and kill another brother. And even later on, the very mission of God and the purpose of God is broken again. The division that occurs as you look at uh, chapter 11 of Genesis. And, and you see there, uh, after the flood, after God sees this disruption and, and, and the, um, uh, the sinful nature of humanity, uh, presses a restart button, but by 11, you see them not have an intent to put his mission into practice. And so as you trace that through, as you move into the New Testament, you see Jesus coming in a redemptive way, 
to bring humanity into a relationship with God that they were to have all of that time. Uh, you see him doing some radical things. He's born in a multicultural uh, genealogy. He teaches in a way that stirs up the people of God to say, wait a minute, it's not just about Jews. And he, it, it, he intentionally uses illustrations that go to uh, the ethnic nature of bringing people together. So he uses a Samaritan as a hero. I mean, for us, it's no big deal today, the good Samaritan. But then, I mean, raised eyebrows, dropped jaws, uh, jaws <laughs> and, and, and had them challenged with the thought of, no way, that could not be the hero of this story. Mm -hmm. And so as you read through and you look at scripture and you see the call in the church to go to all nations, all of those were, were radical. All those were disrupted. We see how the church struggled in the early time. Even, even Peter telling, you know, um, the, the, the call of God on his life to reach into the Gentile world and him saying, no, I, I can't go. So here's my thought from all of that. And this is the premise of the book pretty much, um, Aaron. And that is that uh, uh, racial reconciliation is not peripheral. It's not optional. Uh, it is part of the core of what the church is called to be and to do. We are to accomplish and we are to look like what uh, Jesus intended his church to look like. It is not something that we have a choice on. It's not either or. It is not something that we choose. It is something that we are uh, in line with what he did, how he lived. He was very multicultural, very um, multiracial, if we were to use that again. It's not the way we think of it today. Multi-ethnic. But uh, he reached beyond the division. He created a bridge, and he created bridges that moved humanity back to God and humanity to each other. And so we are not being church if we don't continually look for ways on the canvas, the background of a very messed up world that's divided, if we're not looking for ways to paint unity on that. And that's where I see the core of my calling, the core of every church's calling. You may say, well, well, if they're in Iowa or South Dakota, where there, you know, there, there's not as much diversity, I think there needs to be teaching on it. There needs to be an understanding of what God's intent is. The uh, Great Commission is not just to see people accept Jesus as Savior, but it's to see them then live out his mission in this world to all nations creating disciples. And we see that summed up in Revelation 7 and verse 9, where it talks about all people, all nations, all languages, all tongues around his throne. And so that is not, has not been uh, our usual approach. And sometimes as evangelicals, we have boiled it down to just the saving of a soul. And that's it. Discipleship is living it out, Ephesians 2.10, that we would accomplish the good works he has for us. And so that becomes very, very significant. I could ask you like 27 questions and I, I can't, I can't ask you them all. But two of them that really stick out to me is one, you talked about going to Bible. You were so excited to get to Bible school when you got there and you said it was more like a lot of white and uh, black and white. You used HDTV to a uh, black and white TV, but a lot of white, and not very much black. You know, one of the things is, is, is missions is, is overseas workers. We're trying to have diversity on our teams. It's something we desire. At the same time, um, what you described would be very similar in the sense that the majority of our teams are, are white and um, there is some diversity. We want that. What could the the majority of, of which our teams are white, what could we do to, to walk, care for in a process when people, when diversity is brought on the team 
what would you have wished somebody would have done for you when when you arrived at Bible school that would have made that integration more cohesive rather than making it stick out? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. And um, I, I think there needs to be a different understanding. I, I mm -hmm. see even now the church still wrestling with that. I don't think there's a full understanding. And there are still some who talk about the social issues in the church as being, again, another gospel, peripheral to what it means to be, uh, to be Christian, to be a Christian church and part of a Christian movement. I think that would have been the starting point. There, there was not an understanding of what this broad-based ethnic move of God was. The Jewish people didn't get it because uh, they, they, they failed to reach out and be the light of the world, very similar to what our calling is. And I think when we turn the arrows in and it's just us, it's a hom homogenous approach. It's, uh, you know, this, this view that uh, Christianity looks a certain way and everything that's done has to form into that pattern and that structure. I think we lose out on what God is doing. You know, it's like the old stories of people going to Africa and seeing these, uh, these, these churches built with those steeples on them because, because it was more the outward structure of Christianity rather than the core of seeing them reach and bring people together. Yeah, and so I, I, I think unity becomes a very significant aspect of what we are called to uh, be. Uh, you know, I, I look at such passages as Ephesians 2.14, where it says the middle wall of partition that divided us was broken down by Christ and his death. That, that means now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither black nor white. So there continues to be that distinction because we see that in Revelation 7, 9, but we should live out our differences in such a way where, uh, you know, the great priestly prayer of Christ is evident. In John 17, 21, they, they will know you because as we are one, you're going to be one. And so his intent was never to homogenize us, uh, to uh, assimilate us into one culture. And in America, that's, that's always looked white. His intent was to show on the backdrop, the canvas of diversity and distinction and disruption and division, something new, something incredible. They will know you because not your gospel is just straight, not your, your, your Bible version is all the same, but because you live out this love that does not match what everyone else is doing. And so, you know, other passages, Ephesians 4, verse 3 to 6, as I believe the best context of the Holy Spirit to work is always in the context of unity. And so it talks about the fact that we are called to one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul is emphasizing that because, again, the drift that usually happens is to differences, division. You've got to move towards the intentionality of unity. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, where he says that, you know, make my joy complete, that you be of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so I see that as, again, the context in which the Holy Spirit magnifies himself accomplishes his work. And so that would have been very helpful for them to understand that, that there are differences that are being brought to our canvas, our campus and our canvas as well. Let us, let us understand this is the intent of God. Let us lean into it. And let me give you a few ways that can be done. And let me give you here is the same. First, there needs to be this, this baseline of intentionality. We must be intentional in creating unity in the midst of diversity. And so as you're working, however you're working, that's, that's a starting point. You know, pray for uh, diversity. 
look for diversity, those who are able to become a part of a team and able to function in that way, and then expect it to happen. That's all under intentionality. You know, you might be intentional, but if you're not, you're not looking for it, you're not expecting it, you're not praying for it. Praying is the big one. If, if that is not there, you're not in the ballpark to see intentional diversity occur in your team. The next one is you got to invest. Uh, it is so important that you don't just expect people to come ready-made, off the shelf. Uh, you are, uh, we are called to make disciples. I believe part of that discipleship process is for us to grow alongside someone else. And there is hard work in preparing them, pouring our lives into them and, and making them disciples. But I think, again, if you want a good team member, don't expect that you're just going to show up ready to go. It takes work. And sometimes you may not have all that's necessary around you. And you may say, well, you know, I'll just have to go to, with those I know and those who are just like me. But we have to invest in others to see them raise to the level of what we need or we feel will be best for us. And then inquire, you know, ask them for their input and their encouragement. You know, uh, give them the freedom to speak honestly. If you're going to bring them in, the danger is to bring them in and then have them just become like everyone else. The key is to bring them in and have them bring their, their, you know, their um, diversity with them. Uh, it is one thing to have people on our team and we say, hey, we are, you know, we are a multicultural church because we have, we have presence. No, that's not really representation. Representation is when they bring in who they are and they represent their culture, their backgrounds, and it changes it impacts the way we sing the way we teach the way we look at people the way we approach an issue and so we, we have to give them that freedom freedom to speak truth and love ephesians 4 and verse 15 and then we've got to insist we've got to demand that you know the standards are kept those that are non-negotiable and so you're not looking just to plug people in to uh create more color more diversity in, in, in representation you're looking to plug people in and you're going to insist that they be uh, functional, they are able to uh, develop, they are able to contribute. And so you got to insist, you got to persist in keeping them to the target, to the goal, because again, you don't want them to be set up to be looked at as tokens. You're going to invest in them, you're going to bless them, you're going to give them a voice, and you're going to encourage them. And, wow. and if those are put into place, if that was put into place in, in the context of my going to school, that would have created a, a totally different school experience. It was a blessing for me. But I, I, I think at the same time, I saw many drop out who felt that they were just out of place. I, and, and I think that would have enhanced my time there even more. So, yeah, those are four things I think in any team context would be beneficial. So what I hear you say is it doesn't happen organically. It's not uh, you can't just it's not just going to be spontaneously work that way. And man, what a what a piece of gold the idea of presence doesn't equal representation and um i've never heard it articulated that way but um man that that's that's gold there and um i really appreciate that i think that is something that um we can all put in practice um today and uh i appreciate that wisdom and insight man that's that's good stuff that is good stuff you know, many of the people that are listening in and probably the majority of the, the, the listeners in, they're involved in plant planting or partnering and establishing churches uh, around the world. Um, 
how can we be intentional about planting churches that are the leading change in this this area? Rather that you've talked about how we can integrate people on, on the team so that we have um, representation, not just presence. But what are some intentional steps that you've taken for your your local church that we could replicate around the world? As we, because you've this has been a, a key part of your ministry as, as God has has showed you. It's a great question, Aaron. I, I think there are three just very important uh, aspects to what we have attempted to do, and um, some that we we did not even know was uh, were best practices, best steps. But as I look back, I would tell, tell anyone who is trying to uh, change the, the course of a group, an organization, or to start branding, say your church planning, I would say the first step is conviction. Uh, like I pointed out, we have to get to the point of seeing that uh, the multicultural call for Christ church, not my church, uh, not for certain types of church, not certain types of church in certain areas, but his intent uh, was that racial reconciliation, ethnic reconciliation, be there. It, it is the context in which uh, his great work shines the most. And the Holy Spirit, I think, works best when there is a context of unity. And we've failed as church, especially in America, over time, where we've not seen racial reconciliation be achieved because the church is viewed it as optional, peripheral, and to its primary mission. But I would say that's not the case. We have to see that as part of the outworking. It's not just seeing people come to know the Lord. It's seeing people live out that unity in the Lord. And so that would be the first step. Uh, historically, I, I see a problem of that, even as we, uh, we, we came through as a nation, uh, the, uh, the Civil War, 600,000 dead. And leading into that war, we saw you know, three major denominations split over the issue of race and racial unity. Uh, we saw the Presbyterian split in 1837. We saw the Methodists and the Baptists split in 1845 because they became North and South, divided over their view of what race meant to their calling. And I, I, you know, I, I remember reading and hearing someone say, if the Church of God could split over this issue, why not the Union of the United States? And so there needs to be a conviction. That conviction is what's going to keep us in our, our, our focus, our march towards what the intent is. And uh, the next step I would say is, if you're going to start it, then you have to start it by bringing into leadership roles uh, a level of diversity that is very evident. And so your, your launch team, your leadership team should reflect that. And that begins by seeking those uh, who are, are, again, you have to maybe in some cases pour into them, but you want to move them to a place where they are put into, into a role in a position where they can speak into the organization, uh, make changes, and have an impact. And if you start off with that, uh, with that um, purpose and intent, you will gain it a lot more. Because if that's your destination, uh, you're already showing people what we're going to look like when we arrive there. And so having that be built as the starting point makes a huge difference. And then the, the third step, I'd say, is just learn as much as you can about the group that you're going to be reaching out to. Uh, spend time establishing cross-cultural relationships. Uh, one of the, the phrases I've, I've just thought about a lot and come up with more recently is that of constructive communication. You know, the kind of conversations you have or constructive conversations, uh, the kind of communication and conversations you have where people are speaking truth and you're having to deal with what they say and, and having to respond and, and in some ways even get your, your, your cage rattled, uh, how they see the world, uh, how they view what's going on. 
and having to go back and read and ask more questions. And so it's vitally important that we listen. We listen, not thinking we have it all together, but that there are, there are others who are going to impact our world and our lives who have a different perspective on our world and our life. And maybe things aren't the way we always thought them to be. I think if those three can be put into place, they will create a vital, a radical change in how we move forward. So having the right conviction, which I think is scriptural, uh, having that, that view of, uh, of really opening up those who are major players to reflect that diversity, I think is pivotal. And then finally, having constructive communication and conversations where uh, I don't agree doesn't end the conversation, that we are committed to continue that conversation and to grow on two sides, because why? The differences that are a part of Christ's church and his work in this world is that which uh, he's brought us together in many cases to enjoy, benefit from, but I think so often we push away from because they're different. And, you know, birds of a feather, flock together, you fly together, all of those things. And I think the church as a whole loses out because we practice that much more than seeing unity and diversity. Wow. Constructive conversations. What are some, you know, to me, the I don't know what the opposite of that is. My, I guess the opposite would be destructive conversations. I, I don't know what the opposite would be. But are there some things is, is you, you shared that that's something you've been thinking about a lot lately. Is there some, is there some guiding points in a constructive conversation or some guidance, I think, that maybe you could help us with as we learn from you on what what would let you know that this is a constructive conversation versus one that is maybe just neutral or maybe one that's actually causing more harm than it is good? Yeah. The, uh, let me just go back and say, Aaron, I, I think the opposite of constructive conversation is casual conversation. Hmm. You know, it's dangerously close to constructive. We wow. think because we're having conversation, wow, casual conversations where I can, you know, I, I can keep it or leave it. And, yeah, uh, it's going to stay surface and we, we will not disagree. And once we disagree, we bolt, we leave, we disconnect from that conversation. Why? Because I'm not really committed to it. Uh, committed says, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to not just hear you, but I'm really going to probe in how what you're saying might be a different way of seeing my world. And so constructive conversation in that dialogue I had but that I referred to earlier back in school, uh, when I was coming through, would have been, why would you say he was a great orator or a great preacher? And I would be able to, to inform him that he did many sermons, not just civil rights um, speeches. He did many sermons. He was a pastor. But that person wasn't open to that option. And so it, it was over. We moved on. And we can all think about that constructive conversation or committed conversation that is constructive is one in which there is commitment. The relationship is one we are committed to outside of our, our agreement or disagreement. We're going to stay engaged. And casual is one, again, once a disagreement uh, takes place, once I say I don't agree, we're gone. We moved on to another representative or a uh, person of that background. No, we are looking to grow together in a relationship. Uh, that's the basis for uh, discipleship. Another, so we're not looking at disagreement as the breaker. The, uh, that which causes us to leave that engagement. We're looking at disagreement as another opportunity to grow, another opportunity to understand. And, and I think that's part of it. I, I, I think there has to be uh, a real intent to create a relationship. And I think that is difficult at times on both sides. You know, I see a lot of people talking at each other rather than talking to each other. 
And uh, the discourse in our country right now is, is volatile and it's very disruptive. And I don't think it's very constructive. We are not, we're using sound bites, especially in a political year, especially with all these issues going on in the media. We're, we're, we're doing sound bites and we're not truly talking about what do you mean by that? And how can we find a middle ground? How can we look towards coming together for an ultimate goal? Again, the intent was that we were created to be one race, one humanity that was broken. How does that look different when we come back and try to have conversations that lead to a reestablishment of those relationships? And so constructive, committed dialogue, I think, is very important. Does that help? Or that's, 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 that's another gold, gold nugget and a piece of gold. I appreciate it. And uh, that clarifying that, that, you know, just brings clarity to my mind that it's committed conversation. And, um, yeah. you know, that's something that, um, that I know that, that I can put in practice today. And, uh, and obviously you saying the opposite of that is just casual, that that's, that's more dangerous than, uh, than not having it at all. Man, that's another, that's right. Uh, it's that's a, right. that's a, as a sociologist, you have your PhD in sociology and, 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 um, you've seen, you've studied society. What, and obviously you're a pastor, you're involved, you're highly engaged in the church. What are some questions, or maybe there's some questions you think that we as the church um, should be asking now that we're not asking? Or are there, are there questions that you think, as you see in your scientists and you're studying, what are some questions maybe we should be asking we're not asking? Does that, does that resonate with you at all? It, it does. And, and let me give the question I'm going to ask um, your hearers to hear me through on this one. Here's the big question. Uh, there are two. Uh, the first question I think we need to be asking is, are we considered dangerous, radical, to the accepted patterns of sin and racism in our community and in our society? Wow. And, and what I mean by that is that quite a few years ago, uh, some Christian sociologists, really, they, they, they are fine scholars, Emerson and uh, Smith, uh, Michael Emerson, Christian Smith, uh, looked at and noted that white evangelicals, especially, have a vested interest in their church's uh, success being on keeping the status quo. That means uh, keeping things just the way they are. And there are times where that's the same in a, in a black community, that's the same in other communities as well, where we just feel that we benefit most when things are stable. And sometimes what that means is that we never look at, okay, not that it is best that things just stay the way they are. We're in a good place. Uh, we're enjoying the benefits of time and you know, um, being vested in, in, in the community or society. But what would Christ say? What is different? What is disrupted that he would ask us to consider? And so when we look at that, we, we have to believe that you know, there's, there's a great thing. It, talks, it is a great uh, aspect of that. It talks about us living a peaceful lives and tranquility so that we might, uh, again, be able to push out the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we accept everything that's going on. It doesn't mean that we have a quiet voice and that we don't speak against that which we see that's wrong. So where is it that there are those who are marginalized and are in need? Where is it that we speak against sin, even though it may not be occurring in our community, but we speak on a national level prophetically? Where is it that we speak against even sin in our own congregation. Sometimes we limit our voice just to our congregation, but where do we have our congregation see beyond our gathering to see that outreach must move into new areas and speak for those who don't have a voice? 
I'll give you an example of that. Quite a few years ago, uh, I had a situation where uh, we were going to have an immigration uh, conference here. It was really a gathering where we could bring the local police uh, chiefs together, uh, some DAs that were more uh, interested in immigration uh, issues, and um, uh, also some, some attorneys, or DA for the area, and then some attorneys came to this, this, um, this gathering. And we wanted to just push that out, canvas our community, invite those who were illegal immigrants. Now, uh, we wanted that group brought together with the police because what we started hearing was that many times that's the group that is not only marginalized, but they're, they're uh, victimized because they know they're here wrongly, uh, because they're, they're, they're here without the proper documentation. They don't want to go to the police. They, they, they will let others come in and, uh, you know, extort and uh, put pressure on them, uh, abuse them, and never call it in. And so we wanted to again, be a bridge to bring those two groups together. And uh, I'd already spoken to the chiefs and realized that when they came, this was a golden opportunity for them to see our community come together. We weren't looking, well, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't have come, uh, you know, in the wrong way. That, that wasn't our position. Our position was you're here. You're part of our community. How can we bless you? And I remember after canvassing the area and sending out, you know, these, these flyers and uh, promoting that, I received two calls. The first call was from a person in the area and he reamed me up and down. He, uh, he called me disgusting. He called me the worst American ever, that, that I was such a, an affront to Christianity and I'm no servant of God, you know, I'm an antichrist and just back and forth because I was reaching out to that community. He did not see that community as worth being taken care of having their issues addressed, having them be loved on. They never saw that this was an opportunity to open a door that might eventually see some of these individuals come to know the Lord. And we've seen that. And so after the first call, and it was pretty bad, I was, I was vile. I, you know, I decimated the blood of many uh, great warriors who had given their life for the, the true cause of, of America. He, he, he hung up, then he called back and He's like, you know, I, I, I just was a little worked up. I, I don't know. And then he went right back into it again. <laughs> he himself. So for a second time, I, I received part two of this. And he was just really worked up, really bad. And I called him back. And he, he, you know, he just wouldn't answer. Just wouldn't answer. He saw the number. But it's that kind of approach where we felt we needed to take the next step. We needed to reach out to those in our community. We knew that uh, in many ways, are susceptible to sex traffic, susceptible to, like I said, being, being extorted, access, accept, uh, um, they're accessible to, to having, um, uh, you know, their, uh, their rights as those living in America being taken advantage of. But we never would have thought that if we just said, you know, let's keep the peace. We only are for those who come here right and live right. We just want to reach those that, that, that won't shake the, uh, um, shake the, uh, the the situation, the barrel. We 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 want to just live peaceably. No, I think part of it is also speaking truth prophetically. Um, it, it it is very much forgotten now that when Martin Luther King died at the time of his death, he was the most hated man in America. Why? Because he had moved on from race and was starting to talk about the war in Vietnam and poverty and those things. And and I'm not saying that you know um, the social gospel. I'm not, I'm not for that. I I'm, I, I am for the social outworking of the gospel. 
But I would never say you get saved by just doing social uh, good deeds. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I think what happens is we emphasize the spiritual impact of the gospel and never see its outworking in its social ramifications. And uh, he did. And I thought that was one, one area that he was, uh, he was really heavy of heart about later on in his life. But I think that's been missed. And I do think there is an aspect of all of our, our call that makes us uh, look and should be looking at areas and ways that we can impact uh, those who are in need. Uh, the second question is, you know, this big question, I think this is where it starts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can I risk it all? Whatever that might be to us, and even risk it all with my fellow Christians to do what Christ desires. I, I think sometimes uh, we operate with numbers. We operate with um, not only numbers of people who are even being influenced or attending, but numbers of what's being uh, sent in, how where our support levels are. We don't want to rock the boat. But I do believe we have to have a voice. I do believe, again, in the context of disunity and division, our message stands out most of all. And so we have to say, what does Christ say in this context, in this situation? If we get that, uh, then that moves us to act in such a way where the risk is really the blessing. Uh, that's where it is. I mean, that's what we do. Our risk of giving the gospel could turn against any of us at any time. And I think we need to keep that in mind as we move forward. And so those are the two aspects, the two questions I, I, I don't always think of as being asked. I think sometimes we ask the question, how many are viewing? How many are attending? How many are supporting? How much will this you know, push out the message? And that's great. But if it hinders us from a holistic, comprehensive message that impacts lives and touches lives, uh, in our community, in our society, in our ministry, then I think we're not giving the full gospel. And I know that has different meaning depending on context, but the full gospel, I, I would say, because it impacts the whole person and those that, again, Jesus asked, you know, Matthew 25, have you also, uh, uh, you know, reached out to those and, and discovered where I am? Really, that's it. You know, those who are in need, did you see me? Did you see me unclothed? Did you see me in need? and trying to, uh, to make that impact. Keeping the gospel front and center, keeping the gospel in the center of it. When I see people get saved, I would never down speak or, or speak down that, that emphasis, but we have to see that out of that comes an impact into a world that furthers our testimony and furthers uh, the message itself. That's amazing. amazing. Well, thank you so much for those and um, challenging where, you know, and maybe we can, we can probably wrap it up with this. It's probably a long answer though. Courage, you know, as you've shared, I, I what a, a common theme in your story is you've taken courageous steps along the way. You took a courageous step to go to a, a Bible school um, and walk into that. And then you've, you've decided then to Separate no more, taking the courage to write a book that, that is, you know, is countercultural. I mean, it was something there. Then then you talked about planning a church that was going to be that unifying and a, a lighthouse in that community. Then you talk about you were a you're a police chaplain and and the the courage the courage it took there then to um you know, because you said you know, you're you're a African American man, a, a chaplain, and you grew up with a little bit of dissonance growing up in New York City with that. 
Has there been a, a common place that you found courage to walk in those areas? Because that's, that's a common theme when I hear your story and you share. That's the thing that re- rings out to me is courage. And just as you, you shared one of the questions, are we willing to risk it all? A courageous person doesn't ask that question. You know, because if we don't have the courage, you're not going to, you're not going to risk it all. Um, so, yeah, just how, how can we learn from your wisdom and your experience when it comes to courage? You know, I, I would be wrong to not identify the fact that many who are listening right now have shown incredible courage. Yourself, Aaron, you know, you're, you're out in Madagascar. Uh, you've left all for the call of the gospel. There are many who are in churches who are serving. They could have been doing other um, activities, uh, had other professions that would have benefited them financially. Uh, many who are serving nationally, internationally, many who are in harm's way. So I don't think that courage is different for me. Um, and, and I have to commend everyone who's listening for just hearing the Savior's call on your life and the courage to follow, uh, taking up your cross daily and denying yourself and following. Uh, the one aspect I would say that that I, I I might maybe highlight is not maybe so much that that I have courage is different than all others, but I, I would say that the way the Lord has worked with me is to challenge me to be open. You know, uh, sometimes we can be courageous, but we can be courageous within a limited context. We can be courageous because we've seen others do missions, so we do missions. We'll do it just the way they did. But if we, are, if we are open to the fact that Jesus has something unique and special for every one of us, and in the midst of our taking faith steps, we don't say, okay, I've hit the, uh, I've hit the plateau of my faith walk. I don't have to take any more steps. Uh, when that officer sat on my couch here in my office and asked me if I wanted to be a chaplain, I got to tell you, my first response was not yes. My first response was, are you kidding me? And, and my thought was, I got to think about that. But, you know, it, it is a case where if we're praying, we're asking the Lord, what would you have for me? If we're honestly asking that and we're honestly looking to see, I, I, Henry Backerby talks about the fact of, uh, uh, you know, walking with God in such a way where we, 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 don't, we don't plateau him. And we're just looking and praying as the Lord's prayer commands us thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I think there's a constant openness to what next, Lord. That, not that we're running out for the, you know, the, 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 um, the zap, the, uh, uh, the adrenaline boost of something new. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying if we're just being open to the fact that following Christ does, it never means that we are done. I, I love the spirit of Caleb in the Old Testament you know, uh, later in years and still looking for the giant, still looking for the next big mountain he's got to take. And, and that's what I would say. Just be open to the constant dynamic relationship and walk with the Savior. And if we are, I, I think he'll continue to, uh, to, to show, you know, a, a courageous uh, next step in all of our lives. The fact that it's never a case. I don't believe we, we retire from ministry. I don't believe that. I think ministry is something we, uh, it, it's, it's who we are. The, the, the biggest challenge is just we're next. You know, where would you have us go next? How, what would you have us do next? And so I think if that's in place, then we will see the on um, going on uh, developing, uh, the, the increased development 
of our impact as a church and as a people of God. The, the question comes, have we gotten to the point where we believe that we have plateaued? We have done it all and we're just, you know, we're where we need to be and there's no more. Uh, this is fine enough. No, I, I think it's an ever increasing focus on what God has for us. And I don't think that ever ends. So I, I hope that helps, Aaron. I, I don't feel myself as anyone different. I, I really believe every single one of us, you know, God is, is not, he, he worked six days, rested on the seventh. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't think any of us can ever say when our six days are over before we're ready to go rest for eternity uh, in his presence. I, I, I do believe there are uh, dynamics and changes that we just have to walk with a very dynamic savior and see what he calls us to be willing to follow. No, that's good. Pastor Norm, will you pray for us today that God will, that God will take the wisdom and insight and experience that you've shared with us, and it will not just be head knowledge, but it'll be things that we apply in our, each, in our lives each and every day. All right. Heavenly Father, I bless you, and I thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your dear servant. I thank you for Aaron and what you have led him to do and the impact it's having in the lives of many who are listening right now. And I thank you for every person who's listening, Lord. I thank you that they have heard your call in their life and they have answered. Bless them wherever they are. Bless them in whatever location you have them in. Bless them in whatever place you have them in life. And Lord, for some who are being challenged as to what next, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would give them your guidance. I pray you would strengthen them as they follow you. And Father, for every single person who is obediently walking with you, whether it be in the best of times where their work is honored and their sacrifice is cherished, or whether it's in a time of conflict, a time of uncertainty, a time where they are getting more pushback than they are uh, encouragement. I pray, bless them, Father, strengthen them. Give them that, that once more very strong resolve and awareness that they are following a savior who loves them, who stands up in the midst of their turbulence and their tribulation, and who is ever present. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will not desert us. And so encourage your people. And then, Father, I pray for an extra blessing. I, I know there are times in ministry where we see those challenges and we're not always see the, able to see the end result. But I pray also, Lord, that you will show them fruit for their labor. You would show them the results of what they have given. You will show them the impact it's having in lives. Lord, bless them with that, I pray, because that does matter and that does make a difference. And I, that is a gift that comes from heaven. And may we see, Lord Jesus, that our lives and our sacrifice and our ministry matters. And I pray this, Lord, as we walk forward, help us to have an impact in a world that is in, in so much turmoil because of the division of sin. May we be those who speak unity, speak your voice of strength, and may we be an ever-present statement that will cause and bring about your change. As it is in heaven, may it also be on earth because of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 